0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy! Hello and welcome to Potent Audible, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle.
1: And I'm Emily. And this is the week of December 5th through 9th. But before we get into the games, how are you doing, Kyle?
0: I am doing okay. We are a week away from winter break, which means we are in the week of, feels like about 35 performances coming up, so mm-hmm. uh, in a few days, I'll be really, really relaxed, but until that point, I will not be, and that's okay.
1: I resonate with that. <laughs>
0: yeah, This, but this season isn't busy for you, so...
1: Yeah, we're we are 2 weeks out or so from uh Christmas Eve and after that maybe I will be relaxed.
0: We'll mm-hmm.
1: see. Yep. Yeah. Uh my video game update <laughs> is that <laughs> I've started Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh which is very fun. It's so beautiful. Um It is beautiful. I, yeah, I've also played a bunch of shorter video games. I I spent a lot of time on Stardew Valley. And then I played the last campfire, which was lovely. And I played something called Child of Light, which I liked parts of. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Now I'm now I'm into Legend of Zelda. So, nice. uh, which is on many lists of the best video games of all time. Uh, it it it's the best or one of the best. So. I'm Mm -hmm. enjoying it so far. Nice. But hey, uh, nobody's here to hear my video game update. Uh, We're here to talk about Jeopardy. So uh, Monday, December 5th, uh, we have the contestants, Ben Hebert, uh, shipping manager from Chicago, Illinois. Steph Martin, an editor, writer, and proofreader from Lakewood, Colorado, and Chris Panulo, mm. a customer success operations manager from Ocean City, New Jersey, whose 20-day cash winnings total $710,865. And our Jeopardy round categories are state capital nicknames, animals in books, pointing out decimals, ooh, booze, uh, with OO in quotation mm. marks. Mm -hmm. Um, entertainment awards and a pack of flies. And I mentioned to Kyle, but my DVR ate this episode and it's not available online. So I did not get to actually see the game. I just got to review the the J archive. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the jeopardy round was all Chris Mm -hmm. and Ben made some moves in, in double jeopardy, but this was a classic, Chris Panulo run away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as far as like, you know, events in the game, there's not really, there wasn't anything particularly like, Ooh, exciting, intriguing, that kind of thing. It was a, I don't know, pretty standard, I guess.
1: Yeah. Nobody knew what GPA was a C plus average. Like we are Jeopardy contestants. <laughs>
0: Never seen
1: a C plus in our lives.
0: <laughs> I don't, does it go that low? I don't.
1: <laughs> I was. My understanding is that A is acceptable, A minus is marginally acceptable, and anything before that, b- below that, is a is a bad grade. Is that is that yep. correct? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 The whole thing for for my parents was, you are capable of A's, so that is what we expect. Mm-hmm. If you were not capable, B's would be fine, yeah. but you are capable. I was mm-hmm. like, but other kids get like their parents give them like fifty bucks if they get all A's. My parents were like, well, good for them. They must not love their kids as much. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't make any sense.
1: The time that my parents saw a college transcript and, and got upset about the 3.0s they were seeing, which was the number of
0: credits the classes were for. <laughs> it's because they care. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's what I tell myself. Yeah.
1: I feel like our booze category was like pretty sharply bifurcated between like very classy and not. What do you shooter, mean? We had shooter moonshine and wine coolers and then Grey Goose and Boodles gin is do you is what is Boodles? I don't know that one. I also It says don't British know so it. I assume it's very classy.
0: I assume it's very classy as well. It's probably more expensive than I ever buy, so yeah. that's it's probably why I don't know it. Mm. You know, occasionally I will, I will, I'll splurge and get myself something kind of nice, yeah, you know, Bombay Sapphire or something like I that. Like but a Bombay
1: you, Sapphire.
0: Usually, I'm I'm getting the uh, the uh, the the quantity over quality. Um, yeah, kind of gin.
1: I like a Bombay Sapphire. I like a Hendrix. I like Jim. Hendrix too. That's I like Hendrix one. too. Yeah.
0: yeah. But if you make it the right way, I guess you have to make it with cucumbers or whatever. Yeah. Daily Double number 1 is in a pack of lies at the $800 level, pick number 12. Chris finds it. He's already up to 4800 and uh he bets it all. Steph is at 1,600, Ben's at zero. He gets the clue. Columnist Jimmy Breslin popularized this truth-obscuring idiom that mentions two things employed by magicians. And he gets it correct with what is smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Chris is at 11,000. Steph is at 1,400, Ben is at 3,200. The double Jeopardy categories are history on the double, myth, tree time, Let's play quarters musicals by female roles and starts or ends with X. Mm -hmm.
1: I like the musicals by female roles category. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, I'm not a musicals aficionado by like New York city standards, Mm -hmm. but I do well on those jeopardy categories. And I like musicals. Yeah.
0: By jeopardy standards. You certainly are. Yeah. Yeah. I even knew all of them.
1: Very nice yeah we had um, I mean Roxy Hart and Velma Kelly at the four hundred dollar level that's that's mm. Chicago. Uh, I feel like that one's pretty straightforward forward. Mean spirited orphanage mistress Miss Hannigan at the eight hundred dollar level. uh that's Annie. Annie yeah, uh I feel like mean spirited orphanage mistress makes it a little bit more accessible, although yeah. you know, like Miss Hannigan is a fair clue um by itself but i think you know they wanted to to put it at one of those lower value levels i think they wanted to give a a little bit of a a a nudge there yeah i
0: i wouldn't have remembered it if it if they hadn't included that i wouldn't have been able to pin that Yeah.
1: yeah um sally Bowles and fraulein schneider is cabaret laurel robinson dina jones and effie white is Dreamgirls. I didn't know that one with confidence. I haven't seen the
0: musical. Effie Um, White just stuck in my head. Yeah. whatever reason.
1: Uh, But then the 2000 was a a triple stumper, Mimi Marquez and Joanne Jefferson. That's Rent.
0: The only reason I guessed Rent is because of Mimi.
1: Yeah. That was the thing that made it come to mind immediately for me. Yeah.
0: We had a triple stumper in the myth category at the $1,600 level. In Egyptian mythology, Seth the evil god of disorder, killed this brother, the god of the underworld. Ben guessed Anubis, but no one else went for it. It was Osiris. Mm-hmm. I guess they need to read... Are there Percy Jackson books that deal with the Egyptian gods? Ooh. I feel like there I'm are because not my...
1: sure. There might be.
0: Or something like that because my nieces recently knew who Osiris was. hmm Like, I made some joke about it and my, like, you know, eight-year-old niece was like, Oh, that's Osiris. I was like, yeah, it is Osiris. What? Uh Uh (laughs) Like, cool. That's awesome. I would not have expected that to be something that normally comes up in your house. But yeah. Yeah. Way to go.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that comes up in Percy Jackson. Yeah. I also don't. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in that myth category at the $800 level. And Chris finds it as the 18th pick. He has 20,600. To uh, Steph's 200 and Ben's 8,800, and he wagers 7,000 and gets the clue seven boys and seven girls who did not volunteer as tributes were sacrificed to this monster annually until Theseus killed it. And Chris gets it correct. It is the Minotaur.
0: And Daily Double number three is in the history on the double at the $2,000 level. Uh, Pick number 19, and Chris finds this one as well, Uh, and he just wagers 2,000. He's already Just so far ahead. Mm -hmm. Gets the clue. uh, Prophetically, around 30 BC, these two lovers founded a club called Those Who Will Die Together. Chris begins to guess who are Troilus and presumably Cressida, but changes it to who are Antony and Cleopatra. Good move. (laughs) And apparently can says uh antony and cleopatra are correct we don't need troilus it's not a threesome
1: <laughs> <laughs> who are troilus and antony and cleopatra yes
0: thanks ken yep
1: oh goodness it's a family show ken so at the end of the double jeopardy round chris has a lock You know how he does with 33,200. Steph is at 600, Ben at 12,400. The final Jeopardy category is landmarks. And the clue is in 2009, during a 20th anniversary celebration, it was called an edifice of fear. On November 9, it became a place of joy. Steph got it correct with what is the Berlin Wall and a wager of $100. Ben tried what is the Bastille. And with a wager of 11,750, he drops down to just below Steph. uh, So he'll finish in third place. And Chris got it correct with what is the Berlin Wall and a wager of 4,221, which gives him 37,421 for this game and his
0: 21st win. That brings us to Tuesday, fateful Tuesday, December 6th. Mm. We get the contestants, Megan Mello, an athletic trainer from North Smithfield, Rhode Island. Andy Turrell, a political science and international relations professor from San Diego, California. And Chris Panulo, a customer success operations manager from Ocean City, New Jersey. 21 day cash winnings, $748,286. We have the Jeopardy round categories, the surprisingly successful league of nations kids book titles in Latin. Wouldn't it be rubbery radio radio an arm arm in quotation marks and a Lego. We did get a mention of the Lego movie, the $600 level in 2014's Oscar nominated Lego movie. This actor voiced a Lego construction worker named Emmett. That's Chris Pratt. Mm he also has another voiceover uh, role coming out that people are not super jazzed about. Oh, what? It's super Mario brothers.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And, um, yeah. Yeah. Not going to weigh in on that, but yes, since we have, are like obligated to mention our previous deep dives, the $600 of wouldn't it be rubbery, the civilization of Mexico created an early version of rubber and has a name from the Aztec language meaning rubber people. Mm. That's the Olmec. Yes. I learned a lot looking up that particular deep dive.
1: Mm-hmm. It was I a good one.
0: It was. Haven't thought about it in a while. Believe it was based on we're jaguars.
1: <laughs> uh, Daily Double number one is the very first pick uh, at the level of the surprisingly successful League of Nations. And Chris finds it. Everybody is at zero. He wagers a thousand and gets the clue. In 1925, the League headed off a Balkan war between Bulgaria and this neighbor to the south. And he gets it. It's Greece. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Chris is at 7,600. Andy's at negative 1,000. Megan's at 4,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are world geography, big book royalty, animals blood sweat and tears, their top 40 debut album and seven letter words with W in quotation marks. And the way this round turns around is yes really something to see my DVR ate this one also uh, but wow yeah.
0: yeah so Andy started in the red thousand mm-hmm. dollars in the red and you know for the first couple clues, you know Andy gets in Chris gets one Andy gets one Chris gets one kind of kind of goes back and forth.
1: Yeah. And uh, oh, I guess I guess we get our big we get our big turn at when Christmas is the, the Daily Double, right?
0: Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the blood, sweat and tears category at the sixteen hundred dollar level. It's pick number seven and Chris finds it and um, he's up at ten thousand four hundred. Megan is at fifty eight hundred. So she's the the threat right now. And he's at twenty two hundred and he wagers sixty six hundred. Uh, and he gets the clue. Blood, sweat, and tears all contain this metallic element, the sixth most abundant in the Earth's crust. And he guesses what is iron, but it is sodium. Mm-hmm. So a rare miss on a daily double for Chris drops him back down into contention with everyone else. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the associate the my mental association between blood and iron is so strong. Mm-hmm that I think that would be hard to get past blood and metallic um, and earth's crust, all sort of nudge you toward iron, sweat and tears should make you say, wait a minute.
0: Hopefully you don't have iron in your sweat or tears.
1: Yeah. Or or like, is it it a trace? But, you know, six months abundant. I don't think so though. Um, Yeah, but no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. sweat And sweat and tears. You certainly, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't expect that. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that drops him down and then he's like just right in the mix as Andy just continues to climb. And then Andy finds daily double number three as the 17th pick at the $800 level level of seven letter words. And at this point, He's in a slim lead. He has 7,400 to Chris is 6,200 and Megan's 5,800. He wagers 3,700. I wonder where he comes up with that number. How long did he pause when he was wagering? Was he like, I don't know. Was he like mathing really hard? Is that it's a, exactly half of what he has.
0: Yeah. I think that might be what it was. Cause yeah. otherwise I don't, I'm not sure of the number. Because that just puts him up to 11,100. Yeah. Which doesn't uh, mean anything. <laughs>
1: yeah. And like if he drops down to 3,700, that doesn't mean anything in particular yeah. relative to these scores. Okay. So he, he wagers 3,700, maybe because it's half of his total. And he gets the clue. Part of a famous quote, this word is on the upper left of Karl Marx's gravestone. He figures it out. It is workers. Uh, it's on the upper left because it is the beginning of a quote, I guess. Uh, yeah. So workers of the world unite. On the upper left is sort of a sort of a perplexing way to put it.
0: Sure. I mean, it's the um, one that starts with a W.
1: Yeah.
0: So, I guess if you if you if you figure out the quote, that's the only one it could be.
1: Yeah. I guess it could
0: be world. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't. That wouldn't be the one they're looking for. Yeah. There are a number of triple stumpers. There are three triple stumpers in the $2,000 uh, uh, row, and Andy got two of the others, which is which is big, because that, that would be where Chris would make the difference normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are three that he didn't get, and he only got one of them. So um, he, he wasn't able to really get back out in front the way that he would be used to. So going into... Final. Chris is at 12,600. He's still in the lead. He's still he still got himself back in the lead. Andy's at 11,900 and Megan's at 4,200. And the final Jeopardy category is plays and the clue is a 1609 story in which an exiled king of Bulgaria creates a sea palace with his magic may have inspired the plot of this play. Uh, Megan wrote, what is I had fun to presumably mm-hmm. today or uh, here or whatever and wagered nothing. Andy got it correct with what is The Tempest and wagered $34.99, which is enough to stay above Megan's All-In.
1: hmm
0: And Chris got it incorrect with what is The Little Mermaid, and he wagered $11,201. mm hmm Which means that the run for Chris Panulo has come to an end. It was
1: quite a run.
0: It was quite a run. He is in the top 10.
1: Mm-hmm
0: now for pretty much every metric yep which is you know good for him it was i enjoyed watching him he had his own particular style and uh he will most certainly be back in about a year for the next tournament of champions
1: yep looking forward to seeing him then yeah uh but uh we go on without him Mm -hmm. (laughs) it feels very strange uh but we'll we'll soldier on uh, Wednesday. We have the contestants Ron Chung, an economics professor from Lakewood, Ohio. Tammy Groner, a legal assistant from Hamilton, New Jersey. And Andy Turrell, a political science and international relations professor from San Diego, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $15,399. And the Jeopardy! round categories are A Decade to Remember, College Football Biz, State Stuff, U is the Only Vowel. TV Sidekicks, and Ginger Z Talks Meteorology.
0: That was a video category.
1: It was a video
0: category. I don't watch Good Morning America.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really do any of the morning television stuff.
0: I do want to point out the first pick uh, clue in state stuff at $800 level. A state sport of Colorado involves racing these small donkeys. Uh, Tammy got it correct. Those are burros. Um, mm mm-hmm you can be part you can join the western pack borough association and the 73rd world championship pack borough race will take place or did take place in July Hmm. 74th will be next year in 2023 in fair play Colorado wow Uh, to be clear they don't wait a minute what did it say did it say racing or riding racing Racing. okay wanting to be clear because uh, you do not ride the borough you run (laughs) with the (laughs) borough (laughs)
1: i I had been picturing riding
0: because i i've
1: I've never heard of this sport
0: well well, that makes sense it's not it's not a big thing but it apparently as i'm looking at it comes from the tradition of prospectors um you know leading bringing their burrows through the mountains Mm -hmm. there you go
1: nice uh very seasonally appropriate clue at the $200 level of you is the only vowel in the first chapter of A Christmas Carol. This word is used eight times. In the last chapter, not at all. Uh, Andy got it. It is humbug. Oh, uh, Yeah. I saw I saw a fan theory TikTok video this week of somebody pointing out that it seems entirely possible that Jacob Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge, who were roommates per the book, may have been more than roommates. It's The evidence is there in the text, not okay. completely clear, but, you know,
0: intimated. It has been decades since I actually read the book. So I need yeah. to read it again. Jacob Marley was a business partner. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. Because but- in my mind, I always pictured him, I always pictured Marley much younger. Mm. Like I pictured him like Bob Cratchit, Hmm. you know, like that age. But, yeah. it, but now that I'm thinking about it it makes more sense that he would be old. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, he had died. He died first, right? Like, yeah. And I, yeah,
0: and, and we don't know why, I guess.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have to reread a Christmas carol. Um, but <laughs> Through
0: the lens that they were <laughs> lovers in the night.
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you encountered the, the uh, internet catchphrase and they were roommates. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Roommates. Yeah. It is an,
1: and they were roommates good friends. Kind of, yep. Mm hmm.
0: (laughs) Like, uh, you know, uh, Alexander the Great and whoever that guy was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were good friends. Such good friends that when he died, Alexander went on a rampage and then mourned for years. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Gosh, they were close friends.
1: Very good friends. (laughs) Right? Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Daily Double number one is back in that Ginger Z category, Uh, which is interesting that it was a They put it in a video clue. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can have video daily doubles, but like specifically a like a a guest presenter kind of Mm -hmm. clue. Yeah. Anyway, pick number twenty five. Tammy finds it, and she wagers thirty four hundred. She's out to a a decent lead here and looking to extend it. Gets the clue in early twenty twenty. I, Ginger Z, was in Australia to cover its unprecedented wildfires and learn how the hottest and driest year on record had parched giant stretches of these native trees filled with an extremely flammable oil. And she got it correct with what are eucalyptus trees. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Andy's at 5,600. Tammy is at 12,200. And Ron is at 1,400. That's a really, yeah. I mean, if you get to 10,000 in the Jeopardy round, you're doing real good. Yeah. We have the Double Jeopardy categories, life's peaks and valleys, sequels, famous South Americans, angles among us, classic movie characters, and I will leave. And this is a wordplay category where you have two words, one with an eye and one without that eye.
1: In it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a, this was a tricky category for me. I, I liked the $2,000 level without an eye, an adjective describing a shade like indigo becomes an action that shades you crimson. Uh, that. That is bluish and blush. And Ron got that one.
0: Which, by the way, we haven't mentioned, but I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that fans of Parks and Rec were overjoyed that we had an Andy and a Tammy and a Ron. Mm. Those are all characters in Parks and Recreation. Nice. It would have been better if we'd had a Tom and a Tammy and a Ron, because then we would have had that that love triangle. Yeah. But it's okay, Andy. I guess you can keep your name.
1: <laughs> there was a clue at the four hundred dollars level with a uh, with an image and the and the clue scene here. this Brazilian born woman says she launched the Luz Foundation to bring light into the world. Tammy got it. It is Giselle Bunchen. I think probably after they filmed, but before we are recording, uh, there were some news stories that came out. Um indicating that the Loose Foundation um has dispersed in its lifetime um, like six hundred thousand dollars or something.
0: Hmm. In
1: twenty nineteen it gave out 000008 percent of Giselle Bunchen and Tom Brady's net worth. Uh, in its lifetime. Um, it's it's not actually doing very much.
0: Yeah. I mean, even without that specific uh, knowledge, I would have guessed just on the f- fact that it's called the loose Foundation to bring light to the world. That just sounds to me like you have no focus here. You don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing. Yeah, no. you made a foundation so you could make a foundation mm-hmm. That's what that sounds like to me.
1: Yes. Uh, daily double number two is in angles among us at the $1,600 level. And Ron finds it as the sixth pick. He has 3,800. So he's, he's in third place uh, with Tammy way, way ahead of him. He wagers just 2000. I think this would have been the time to go all in. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, And he gets the clue at a 38-degree angle or 78% gradient. Harakiri is the steepest ski slope in this nation of skiers, Franz Klammer and Hermann Meyer. I don't know if I pronounced these people's names correctly. Uh, I'm sure Ken did. And Ron figures it out. It is
0: Austria. And Daily Double number three is in the sequels category at the $800 level. Pick number 28. Ron also finds this one. Uh, He has been making more of a move here at the end uh, of the round. He's up to 13,000. Tammy's at 21,800. And Andy's at 10,800. So everyone's in good position. Uh, And Ron wagers 9,000. With two clues left on the board. I don't know how I feel about that particular wager. I, I like that he's... I always like a big wager. Yeah. The issue here is... If you get it wrong, you're pretty much out of the game right. And it's still not enough to oh it is enough. it's it is bar- enough. it's barely enough to take the lead. so mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess like I'm okay with it. It's just I would it's a hard spot to be in with only two clues left on the board
1: right. yeah.
0: um but he wagers nine thousand gets the clue. Insurgent is book two in this dystopian series. And he takes a while to answer, but he gets it correct with what is divergent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know if, if, you know, if it's like me, you're like, is there another name for the series or is it just the name of the first book?
1: Right. Yes. That's, that's the question, right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. but he gets correct, jumps up.
1: Uh, but Tammy manages to get just ahead of him. I mean, I guess that's the other thing with, such, with, with this huge wager, right? Like they are eight hundred dollars left on the board.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe bet at all. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you're not even quite securing yourself going into first place in final if you get it right. Right. And mm-hmm. Tammy does manage to retake that lead. So Tammy's at twenty two thousand two hundred with Ron just $200 behind her at $22,000, and Andy's at $11,200. The final Jeopardy category is US presidents, and the clue is he was sworn in twice as president within two years, first by his father, and then later by a former US president. Uh, Andy tried, who is Theodore Roosevelt? That is incorrect. He wagered ten thousand and one, dropping him down to eleven ninety nine. Ron tried who is John Quincy Adams with a wager of twenty four oh one. He drops down to nineteen thousand five hundred ninety nine. Yeah, I'm not totally sure what Ron's rationale for this wager is, right?' We're is looking,
0: that at twenty it a, he's gonna get to
1: twenty four four oh one.
0: It's possible he did his math wrong to try and get over Andy's double up. Yeah. Because he would only need to wager 401. 401. Yeah. Not 2,400. Yeah, maybe it's an
1: arithmetic error trying to get over Andy's double up. Anyway, he drops down to 19,599. Tammy tried who is Franklin F. Roosevelt. And that's also incorrect. And she made, I assume it's a cover bet. These numbers are very big. Um Yeah, no, that's, yeah, a, cover that's bet. a cover bet. Uh it's twenty one thousand eight hundred and one, which she had to do. Ken recognizes yeah. that she had to do it. Which I appreciated him saying out loud, right? Because right. uh sometimes you'll see one of these situations where it's a very close, you know, kind of high scoring game. And the person in first place makes the big wager that they have to to make a cover bet, And then they both miss it. Right. And right. and people are like, Oh, they should never have wagered that much. She yeah, absolutely wa- should have. They, she should have wagered that. much. She
0: should have. Yeah. Yes. The best chance I, I of winning. I guarantee
1: you that everyone here has studied us presidents, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah,
0: it's a, it probably feels like a pretty good category to make a big bet on. Yep.
1: Yeah. And the correct thing to do from the lead is to make that cover bet. Unless you have some exceptional reason to like to deviate from kind of what's generally the optimal strategy right like this is absolutely the correct move and ken comes out and says so which i appreciate right because like Mm -hmm. the jeopardy the Jeopardy! contestant community gets it, but, like, sometimes sometimes the, the general fan population is like, why did she make such a huge wager?
0: And also, why is well she friend. such a bad person and complete idiot for doing that? <laughs> oh, why am I such a better person than that person yep. on TV?
1: Uh-huh. Because um, they
0: didn't do a thing that I have thought nothing about. <laughs>
1: Yes. Uh, so anyway, I, I appreciate Ken like sort of proactively kind of advocating for the contestants and like, you know, sort of translating the strategy a little bit for for the casual viewer. So she drops down to 399, which is a bummer for her. Um, she and Ron, ha- I mean, and Andy as well, like great game. Um, And yeah. Ron gets the win on this one. Oh, and I never said the actual correct response. Oh, yeah. It's Calvin Coolidge sworn in. When Warren Harding died, and then again by former President Taft. Ken Mm -hmm. explains.
0: Yep. Uh, So on Thursday, we have the contestants AZ Madonna, a music journalist from Malden, Massachusetts, Uh, Sriram Krishnan, a consultant from Falls Church, Virginia, and Ron Chung, an economics professor from Lakewood, Ohio, whose one day cash winnings totaled $19,599. We have the Jeopardy on categories, the world of patent models. Rhyme Time, you in History, with the letter U in quotation marks, A Night at the Opera, Monkey Business, and Mark's Brothers and Sisters. That was an interesting category they did mm-hmm. okay at. Yeah. I did very poorly at.
1: <laughs> yes, I was. I was mystified by just about all of
0: these. Yeah. I got the I got the thousand dollar clue. I felt like that one was easier than all the others, but you didn't okay. know any of
1: the musicians or actors, but you were familiar with the the senator
0: with the fact that yeah, right yeah. that Mark Kelly. Like, mm-hmm. I've maybe it's just the timing, but but I mean it's fair. It's trivia. Yeah. It's not it's not a bad category. It just mm-hmm. it just threw me off.
1: Yeah, uh, Ron had misses. Rang in first and then missed on the first two clues of the round in rhyme time. Um, I feel like I remember sort of um, kind of before going on Jeopardy, sort of trying to talk myself around to like on word play, like it takes too long to think it through. If it's a short clue, you've just got to ring in and trust that it's going to come to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, sometimes that backfires, you know? Um, So I feel like that's what Ron was doing, right? He was like, confident that yeah. that you know a 200 or 400 word play clue he could ring in and trust that it would come to him and then like just couldn't quite pull it
0: yeah um, i had that same thought
1: the 200 was not quite annual ron didn't know and then sriram got the rebound with nearly yearly and then the 400 a really chill gentleman uh ron said i don't know sorry and az got the rebound with A mellow fellow Um, the other two contestants who did not ring in first get the benefit of all that time while the clock is counting down for ron
0: right (laughs) to think it through themselves
1: that's true um so that you know then when it's when it's open again they've had that time to kind of uh figure it out
0: there's a triple stumper in the U in history category at the $800 level. This incident resulted in the exchange of Rudolph Apple for Francis Gary Powers. Uh, nobody tried it. That's the U two incident. Cause mm. the, 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 plane is a U two spy plane. Yeah. That was shot down. And, uh, the story of Francis Gary Powers is really sad. So if you want to bum yourself out, you can look into, look into him. Um, mm. uh, but For me, I always remember that because I just picture Bono in a plane. (laughs) Uh, And that's what my brain does. So there we go. Cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, Daily Double number one is at the $1,000 level of A Night at the Opera. And AZ finds it at the 14th pick. She is at negative 200. Ron and Sri Ram are just, you know, in in the positive, kind of low scores. She wagers a 1,000 and gets the clue. A play by French dramatist, Pierre Beaumarchais, served as the basis for this Rossini opera set in a Spanish city. And she gets it correct. It is the Barber of Seville.
0: Yes. She did well in the opera category.
1: Yes. I don't know what her specialty is as a music journalist, but...
0: But she knows opera,
1: yeah, she didn't quite run the category. Ron got the uh, 800 dollar level. Um, it was a clue about the magic flute. I bet she knew it though I bet she got beat on the buzzer. I thought that was a I thought that was a very um, gettable clue. but I don't know. you know what you know. Yeah anyway, at the end of the jeopardy round, Ron is at 4200. Sriram is at 3800 AZ is at 2800. and the double jeopardy categories are let's get down to cases. What a novel character. In the room. Countries from wordplay categories. Each response will be two countries. Preparing for the role and 1990s vocab test.
0: That was uh, fine.
1: It was fine. I, You know, I don't have the kinds of objections to it that I have to all of their, like, texting abbreviations categories. Oh, yeah. Like, this, yeah. these were legit... 1990s slang
0: mm-hmm. or at least terms that were that t- yes. like globalization mm-hmm. is yeah, really not slang, all of them
1: were yeah. slang that's true the slang terms were legit slang that people truly used
0: yes i remember i remember that slang it's a little cringe looking back i remember being like nine years old and thinking like talk to the hand sounds really stupid mm. i'm not gonna say that and i'm not gonna do that yeah And I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone on the podcast who did use that terminology. It's Mm -hmm. fine. We were all young at, you know, I said plenty of dumb stuff that, you know, was slang. Yep. I just remember that particular one. That particular one, I was always like, this is foolish. I don't know. I had had a moment of clarity (laughs) with that one. (laughs) That countries from wordplay category was... I thought it was, first off, strangely ordered. The $1,200 clue rhyming pairs, Banjal and Lusaka are the capital cities of these two. Like, it's a rhyming pair, sure, but mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you what continent it's on. Yep. I mean, you, you see banjul and Lusaka. If you're on Jeopardy, probably you've studied world capitals. Probably you can get to the right region. Probably you can, like, uh-huh. it was a triple stopper there it's the Gambia and Zambia. Those are not the most, not the first countries that come to mind. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a deeper pull. And the $2,000 clue was same till the last letter, both in the Middle East, which is like, Right, That's only should, two there mm-hmm. anyway and then their flags are seen here they showed their flags we ju- I realize I realize this was recorded before the World Cup but it was like we just played Iran in the World mm-hmm. Cup yep. and we should probably know Iraq's flag. Yep. As Americans it sh- we should just know what that looks like. Your sh- I, I, there,
1: should I, is doing a lot of work here.
0: I understand. <laughs> I realize that. Please. I I there's there's a lot <laughs> yes. of salt with that. I get that. Yeah. But still I'm just saying for me, that one was like instantly gettable without even the clue. Even he just show me the flags that have been right. like, oh, that's around Iraq, right? Yep. Like, n- either half of that clue would have been fine. And it should have been up in the 1200 or like 800 to
1: me. Yeah, agreed. Whereas
0: trying to remember Banjo and Lusaka and then, oh, do those rhyme? Like,
1: right. con- yes. countries
0: in Africa that are not close to each other. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit off to me.
1: Yeah, they could have swapped those.
0: And we got my favorite book at the $2,000 level of what a novel character. Mm. With my favorite mm-hmm, author. Mm-hmm,
1: mm. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite author, Ayn Rand. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. She doesn't even get Oh, even this line. He des- he is described as Prometheus who changed his mind. That's just a gross misunderstanding of the whole of the whole myth.
1: Yeah. Oh, I realize yeah. the
0: the idea is like, well, what if he took fire away after? Like, what if he took it back? Yeah. I, I get that's what she's getting at. But like, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And now you say the first sentence of Atlas Shrugged. Apparently, the first sentence is who is John Galt. But the the pointer here is to he is described. Right. Yeah. So you don't you don't need to have verbatim the first first sentence of Atlas Shrugged. Right. Uh, so Sri gets it with who is Galt.
0: Yeah, it's just that the clue, like, or the, the line, you know, the, 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 the famous line in the book is who is John Galt? It's like, yes. Over and over again. Anyway. God, I spent uh, too God. much time thinking about that book. I spent too much time thinking
1: about this is just to say by William Carlos Williams. So I guess we all have <laughs> our things.
0: <laughs> yeah. But there are funny memes that come from that. It's hard to make, it's hard to, you know, make a thousand page meme. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Daily Devil number two is in the uh, countries category. It's at the $1,600 level. Uh, Ron finds it at pick number nine. He's at $7,400. is at 6600 AZ is at 4800 He wagers 3000 Gets a clue. Add two vowels. Two neighbors in West Africa. Uh, and Ron is not able to work it out there. But that is Niger and Nigeria.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get there either. And I was not confident whether I was should be thinking about adding the two vowels in the same place. Mm. Or whether it was, you know, mm-hmm. two vowels potentially separately somewhere in the word.
0: Yeah. And it's um, not clear in the clue. Yeah. So,
1: And daily double number three is in 1990s vocab test at the $800 level. And Sri Ram finds this one uh, at the 20th pick. He's at eleven thousand with Ron and Az tied uh, at seventy two hundred, and he wagers two thousand and gets the clue. You can spell this word for a type of business with six letters or a period and three letters, and he gets it correct. It's dot com.
0: And he goes on a bit of a tear after that. Yeah, and and by the end of. Uh, the double Jeopardy round, with, at the very last clue, he gets himself into a locked position at 21,800 because Ron is at 10,800 and AZ is at 8,000. we got the final Jeopardy category, names the same and the clue, a cocktail, an island, and a World War II venture originally called Development of Substitute Materials all bear this name. This is a triple stumper, which I thought was a, a bit interesting. I, I, wonder yeah. they, I wonder if they... I don't know. Az wrote, "What is a mai tai?" and wagered sixty-seven. Nope, sixty-two seventy. I imagine that's relevant to her in some way, uh, but that is not correct. Ron wrote, "What is martini?" That's also incorrect. And he wagered fifty-two oh one, but Siram just wagered nothing, which is smart because he didn't really have any wiggle room. Uh, and he also wrote, "What is mai tai?" That's a Manhattan.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I. I did you did you figure this one out?
0: Yeah, I see a World War II venture talking about like I don't know, I it just I immediately thought of the Manhattan Project. Yeah, so
1: mm-hmm. I yeah, I mean I I worked myself around to it. Cocktail and Island started pointing me toward like tropical, and I sure. think I I might yeah, have gone fair. in that Mai Tai t- direction, and then it was like World War Two, and then something about like Island. And World War II, like somehow, like Bikini Atoll, like popped into my head, and I was like, "No, not that. That doesn't work." And then, like somehow, that got me to Manhattan Project, and I was like, "Oh right, it doesn't say a tropical island. It just says an island. It Says
0: an island. Yeah. Manhattan
1: is an island and a cocktail, and the Manhattan Project, and um, and then I had it. But it takes it takes a little work for this one. Yeah, no, you know? I agree.
0: I agree. If you if you don't immediately get there, it. I could. I definitely see how it could point you, how it could point you to something tropical and get yeah. you off track, for sure. My brother and sister in law uh, have a, I guess, tradition on uh, Friday nights. They uh, have charcuterie and drink manhattans. And That's nice. Uh, my sister in law dubbed it "sharks and hats."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
0: Yeah, I like um, it too. It's fun and tasty.
1: Our uh, our drink of choice currently in my household is something called a black Manhattan, uh, wow. which is Manhattan esque, uh, but uh, you use um, an amaro, amaro overna or, or something similar instead of it's vermouth in a Manhattan, right? Yeah,
0: sweet uh, vermouth. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So this is it's. Uh, much more like bitter and herbal, um, which is my thing these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you like Negronis and
1: yeah, things
0: like that. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> if it if it like <laughs> sticks to the roof of my mouth, I'm not into it.
1: Oh no, that's what, that is what I'm looking for.
0: I don't care for IPAs either.
1: Hmm. Oh, anyway. I don't I don't like IPAs because they
0: upset my stomach. Well, that's a, also a good reason. But. Yeah. Anyway, on to Friday.
1: So that brings us to Friday, where we have the contestants Matthew Ott, an accountant originally from Boston, Massachusetts, Ellen LaBerge, a lawyer from Syracuse, New York, and Sri Ram Krishnan, a consultant from Falls Church, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total $21,800. And the Jeopardy round categories are places named for people, put in a good word, table talk. Song title titles, she blinded me, and science.
0: <laughs> that blinded me was a good category. <laughs> that was I wouldn't say fun. I enjoyed all of the uh at least the more historical references. The yes. the pop culture ones were fine or whatever. But
1: uh-huh. do you ever watch Bird Box?
0: Uh no, I haven't.
1: Yeah. And it
0: was fine. I wasn't. I, yeah, yeah. it was one of those that was on, like, it's on my list of things to eventually watch, but just never got around to it.
1: Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I I like a post-apocalyptic kind of horror movie kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So, you know, it was the kind of movie that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. And like, it was fine. It was what it promised to be, I guess.
0: Sure. Sure. Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. It it's uh,
1: felt, I guess, I guess what I, what I am, what I'm thinking about is that it felt sort of like, maybe like pandery, right? Like, like, like the AI has tried to design a movie that will appeal to people and like have a social media, like viral moment, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that was kind of the vibe that I got. Gotcha. But given that, I mean, the algorithms know me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, they work. There's a reason they're right. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Uh, We had a triple stumper in the science category at the $800 level. The size of a fist, this organ behind your left ribs fights invading germs in your blood by producing lymphocytes. Apparently, that's the spleen. Mm -hmm. which The size of a fist, for some reason, made me think spleen, but it also made me realize, I have no idea what the spleen does. But apparently, it makes lymphocytes.
1: It makes lymphocytes, yes.
0: And it has a bunch of red blood cells. I know that.
1: huh okay. And it's
0: bad if it gets hurt. Yes. Which is really just generally true of any organ.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: We don't really have um, organs that are designed to be traumatized, so.
1: Yeah. Back when I was doing my hospital chaplaincy internship, mm-hmm. I walked into a patient's room one time and the patient said to me, I, I think I'd talked with her a couple times before. She said, oh, they're saying that they're going to have to take my spleen out. I wonder if I'll lose any weight. And I said, well, I figure at least as much as a spleen waste. <laughs> like just, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a plan to make a joke. Like mm-hmm. It just sort of, it was, it's not a very chaplainy thing to say. It just sort of came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did she appreciate it? She, appreciate ha- it or was she it? did appreciate okay, it. Okay, good, 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 good. She did.
0: Because that could be real awkward to be like totally deadpan, be like, you're making jokes now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, she, she appreciated it.
0: Daily double number one is in the put in a good word category at the $800 level. Pick number 19, uh, Siram finds it. He's at 2600 which is third place. Ellen's at 3400 Matthew's at 3600 He bets it all, which he absolutely should. Gets the clue. It's a good name for a 350-mile-long lake or the head of a convent. And he is clearly working it out, but the timer goes off. As he begins to say, Mother Superior, but um, he has ruled too late because he doesn't actually get the word superior out, Yeah, but it's superior. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we have uh, established or not, if it's been stated, whether Ken has the button for the do to do, or if that is still Ooh, yeah, at I don't the know. producer's table. Mm. Um, Cause it was the moved. Doo-doo-doo. or the, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was moved to the judge's table when the guest hosting began. Mm, and yeah. I don't know if we've heard if it made it back or not. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, is at 1,000, Ellen is at 4,600, and Matthew's at 5,000. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, history, Russian writers, potpourri with P in quotation marks, company name origins, TV final episodes, and state postal abbreviation words. So they're looking for a four-letter word, but you have to give the two states whose abbreviations make up that four-letter word. I thought that was a good, a good. Yeah,
1: I thought that was multi- a great category.
0: Yeah, it's multi-step, but it's not so multi-step that's like kind of impossible. It's not initials to Roman numeral math. Yeah. It's not quite that complicated. It was, it was nice. For yeah. instance, a sheet of glass set into a window or door is a pane, And that is Pennsylvania and Nebraska with P-A and N-E. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's whole category was was delightful firstborn of genesis chapter four verse one that is california and indiana c-a-i-n spells Mm -hmm. cane i enjoyed the tv final episodes category as well we had at the four hundred dollar level a clue about my beloved friday night lights it's been a long time since i watched any friday night lights i don't know hopefully it's aged well i don't know we used to like have like a running bit talking about Mandy Moore way back. Am I remembering that right? Did we talk about Mandy Moore a bunch of times?
0: Uh on maybe the it was podcast? just one
1: on the podcast.
0: Maybe it was just I, one time. Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe. Like the
1: the the uh evolution of Mandy Moore from like teen ingenue to playing somebody's grandmother, like in our oh, lifetime. You know what? Right? We d- like we
0: did talk about that, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's pulling me back.
1: Yeah, apparently apparently the final episode of This Is Us included her funeral. So, I don't know if she dra- died young and tragically, but like Mandy Moore is like my age ish, a
0: little older, right? You didn't watch the show. Um I didn't. Right? Yeah,
1: I stopped watching a couple seasons in.
0: Yeah, no, she's like our age in like the late 70s or 80s is my understanding. Yeah. Like she, w- you know, they're, they're aging her up. Yes. Significantly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Still. I, mm. <laughs> I don't like wrestling with my own mortality, especially if Mandy Moore can't survive. Yeah,
1: No, I guess they, they do need somebody who can play like mom age and then they can age her up. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine.
0: <laughs> I thought the $400 clue of Russian writers really buries the lead on the novel. It mentioned Mm. it's the clue is Vladimir Nabokov's books never earned more than a few hundred dollars until this 1955 novel about a young girl became a hit. It's like, I mean, yeah, I guess if the clue is supposed to be about Nabokov and not the right, not the, not the book, mm-hmm. sure. Don't wade into it. But like just saying Lolita is about a young girl is really not. <laughs> that, that's not, not what that it's about. It. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And is it about her?
0: Is it about like? I mean, it's I'm, it's a. Ab- I mean, it's about her, but of? it's. I mean, it's it's the main character is Hu- Hubert hum- Humbert, hum- whatever Humber- his name Humber- is, Humbert Humbert. Humber- yeah. Yeah. Um, Every time yeah. I want to call him Hubert Humphrey's, <laughs> like that's not this. <laughs> nope. That's not the guy. <laughs> Different person and should not probably you know associate the wrong name with that particular issue.
1: Mm-hmm. I was surprised at the. That they put the two thousand dollar level of company name origins at the two thousand dollar level. Geico's name goes back to its original customer base: military personnel and these people, the G.E. Uh, Sriram got that it is government employees. I don't know. That just sort of felt first of it. It it felt self evident to me, and then they were like, "Hey, look, it's in the acronym: military personnel and G.E.s." Like I don't know. It seems it. Is- it, it heavily heavily clued for a $2,000 level.
0: Does it also seem particularly obvious because that literally has been one of the uh, Jeopardy clue style advertisements oh, for Geico? Oh, that's probably
1: it. That's <laughs> because, probably why. Because yes. they
0: definitely had that exact clue mm-hmm. as the ad before Final Jeopardy.
1: Yep. Yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> I, I I saw that and I was like, huh they're just really hoping everyone watches the show or no one watches the show. Like they're hoping everyone fast forwards through commercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was a bit odd to be pulling from the, uh, unless the jeopardy writers were the ones who wrote that clue in the first place. And they're like, well, we should just use it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, daily double number two is at the $2,000 level of TV final episodes. And Matthew finds it as the eighth pick. He is tied for the lead with Ellen at this point. They both have 7,800. Sri Ram is uh, behind them at 3,800. He wagers 3,800 and gets the clue. When this show ended on April 10th, 2022, one of the two female leads was dead. Which, well, the show didn't live up to its title. And he figured it out. It was Killing Eve, which I have not watched
0: any of. I haven't either, but that would have been my guess too. Yeah. And uh, Daily Double number three is in the company name Origins category at the $1,200 level. Pick number 12. Surround finds this one. He's in third place at $5,000. Ellen's at 7800 and Matthew's at 10400 And he only wagers 2000 mm. He must really not be confident in company name Origins because there's a lot of money left on the board and, and he's in a distant third. Yeah. And he gets the clue. Truth be told, the first part of this telecommunications company's name comes from the Latin word for truth or certainty. And he immediately gets it with what is Verizon.
1: So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Sriram has uh, made a pretty good recovery from there. And uh, he is now in the lead. Uh, he makes it up to yeah. 14,200. Uh, Matthew's at 11,600. Ellen at 7,800. The final Jeopardy category is 1970s movies, and the clue is a 1975 premiere of this comedy advertised free coconuts for the first 1,000 in the audience. <laughs> I thought this was a great clue. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It came to me and that I, I felt very pleased with myself. It came to Ellen as well. She had What is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, she wagered 7,000, bringing her up to 14,800. Matthew had it as well. What is Monty Python and the Holy Grail? He wagered 11,597, everything but three bucks. Uh, which puts him at twenty three one ninety seven. Shuram did not get it. He has what is bananas? Mm. Ken says to him, "Hey, you thought of a fruit fruit themed seventies comedy? I did not recognize that bananas was a film title, but that's what makes Ken a
0: great host, right? Pretty sure it's a Woody Allen movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a Woody Allen movie
0: from the seventies.
1: From yep, yeah. So like, that's, I mean, I think that's what, uh, that's one of Ken's real strengths in hosting, right? Is that
0: he, he just knows
1: <laughs> he knows, right? Like I look at it and I think, oh, that might be a shot, you know, that's a shot in the dark, better to write something than nothing. And Ken is like, that's a deep pull.
0: <laughs> like,
1: yeah. It's like, that's know? a pretty
0: good guess. Nice job. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. It wasn't bananas. So Sri Ram has wagered 10,000, dropping him down to 4,200, uh, which means that Matthew gets the win here. And the, the coconuts, of course, like the the, the clip clop horse's hooves were the mm-hmm. in, in in the in the film that's uh that's what the reference is. That's what you're supposed to the connection you're supposed to make. Uh yeah. which I thought was really fun.
0: Yeah, I I I think I'm on record as not being a huge fan of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. But I will say I loved spam a lot.
1: Huh, okay. Which I
0: realize is basically like it's it's like the movie, but in musical form, I, j- I think perhaps their comedy works better in that setting or something. I don't know. Their movies I, I don't particularly go for or like even even like the Flying Circus I didn't particularly go for. But Spamlot I thought was fantastic. Okay. Anyway.
1: So that's the week. um, And this is the time in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. There's a little bit of exclusive content there. We try to put our quiz questions up right after we record so that you can get a sneak peek uh, at them. So if you have a couple of bucks a month to help us offset the costs of making this podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. And we greatly appreciate those of you who are helping us to – not lose money doing what we do here. Um, so thank you. But of course, there are also more important things in the world than our podcast. Uh, so we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that. You can find a few of our favorites in our show notes. Um, and we've been especially highlighting abortionfunds dot org recently. Yeah, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses?
0: I do. There were a few that I thought would be good. Are you going to be talking about the U2 incident?
1: I am not talking about the U2 incident.
0: Mm. Are you going to tell us about the Wendigo?
1: I am going to tell you about the oh, Wendigo. Yes!
0: <laughs> I was hoping that was it, because I was like, <laughs> "I oh, this would be such a good topic. And also, I hope I guess it. Yes! Yeah. Mm. Nice work. I am excited.
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's not going to be our lengthiest deep dive ever. But yeah, no, on Tuesday, we had a, a clue in uh, seven letter words with W in quotation marks at the $2,000 level. In Algonquin lore, this creature uh, depicted here, and there was an image, is a man eater constantly looking for new victims. Um, and no one attempted it. It is the Wendigo, which was certainly a word I had heard, but I didn't feel like I really knew much about the Wendigo. And so I figured I'd Look into it and, uh, you know, learn something new. So uh, the Wendigo is part of the traditional belief system or folklore mythology. It's those terms. They're so Western. They're tricky. Um, Right. In any case, uh, (laughs) part of the lore of a number of Algonquin speaking peoples, including the Ojibwe, the Salto, the Cree, the Naskapi, and the Innu. I'm sure that I'm going to pronounce at least one Native American word in the course of this deep dive, but I, I will do my best. I tried to look up as many as I could and get them as right as I can. So there are there are numer- numerous peoples uh, for whom the Wendigo is part of their lore. Um, common to all of the cultures is the view of the Wendigo as malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural, uh, strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. Mm. These different people's speak related but different languages so there are some variations on how exactly like what exactly this thing is named and you know how that name is is pronounced and transliterated but they're all kind of recognizable um as connected to wendigo to a greater or lesser extent if you've encountered the wendigo in pop culture it's likely that you have seen kind of a hybrid creature with antlers or horns but those animal features are not part of the original indigenous stories those are kind of a western like anglo addition to the mythology hmm. that was encountered uh, from like the original algonquin lore in ojibwe eastern cree west main swampy cree Nuscopi, and inulore wendigos are often described as giants that are many times larger than human beings. Other cultures don't have that aspect, that giant aspect in their mythology. In the mythologies where the Wendigo is is, is giant, um, whenever it eats another person, it grows in proportion to the meal it has just eaten. So it can never Ooh. be full. Yeah. Ah. Um so wendigos Ooh, I like are that. sort, yeah, uh, this is very creepy. That,
0: that is, but it's so cool. Yeah, that's such a good idea.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh, like wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously unbelievably like gluttonous, ravenous, but also always extremely thin, like on the verge of starvation. Mm. In some traditions, humans overpowered by greed could turn into wendigos. Uh, so that mythology sort of. Uh, encourages cooperation and moderation kind of cautionary tale kind of thing. There are also sources uh, talking about um, Wendigos being created when a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. There's also mythology around humans being humans turning into Wendigos by being in contact with them for too long. Uh, there's a similar being uh, that appears in in the legends of some peoples of the Northwest Pacific coast called the Uechuke. um It too is cannibalistic. So in addition to kind of the, you know, the, the, the folklore, the, you know, kind of stories and stuff about the Wendigo, there can be like kind of a conceptual understanding of the Wendigo applying to any like person or idea or movement um, marked by like a corrosive drive toward, greed and excessive consumption there's some scholarship around wendigo imagery and it's used in in, uh describing like colonialism
0: right Mm, um mm -hmm. i wonder why
1: yes Uh, right i I don't see the connection (laughs) right like uh this
0: ravenous unending exhaustively
1: ravenous greedy destructive force right like it fits uh, Chippewa author Louise Erdrich's novel, The Roundhouse, uh, which won the National Book Award, contains a bunch of like Wendigo imagery and and uh, references to Wendigo mythology. Uh, the novel's primary antagonist is a rapist whose violent crimes desecrate a sacred site, um who is characterized as a Wendigo and the uh, the other Native American characters in the novel. Uh, reflect on that mythology intermittently throughout the novel. So that's, I mean, that's that's some about what we know about sort of Wendigo mythology uh, from Algonquin cultures. Mm-hmm. But it's been adopted into like American popular culture in ways that are interesting, but not really totally faithful to the original lore. Right. So one of the first appearances of a character inspired by or named after a Wendigo uh, in non-Indigenous literature is Algernon Blackwood's 1910 novella, The Wendigo. Uh, Blackwood was a British author, um, and this novella is like kind of a horror novella. Um, There's like a hunting party of uh, two Scotsmen. With Canadian guides in the wilderness of Canada, they have um they have an Indian cook with them, and while they're on this hunting expedition, uh, they sense a terrible odor, which can be that that can be associated, I think, with like traditional like Wendigo lore. Mm-hmm. And then the French Canadian guide uh, has a vision, like a terrifying vision, and runs off into the night. And the rest of the party searches for him, following his tracks that seem to metamorphose. Um, and eventually the trail disappears. They think they hear his voice on the wind crying out, oh, my feet of fire. Uh, they make their way back to the campsite where they find their missing companion suffering from delirium and frostbite. Uh, and he dies soon after. Hmm. The Indian cook who was part of the party fled at the first sign of what was of uh, like the first terrible stench because he knew that they were encountering the Wendigo and, you know, wanted no part of it. Uh-huh. So that's kind of the Wendigo kind of entering, like, Anglo Anglophone, like, popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, note how it does not fit with the traditional lore.
0: Right.
1: And scholars note this Wendigo seems to be connected to the wilderness and to indigenous people, right? Uh, we've gone mm-hmm. from, like, Wendigo as associated with Destructive greed to the Wendigo as sort of associated with like wild savagery and you know the dangers of like right. you know the like the like nature and the out right like nature and mm-hmm. the outdoors and yeah it it's this huge reversal of kind of uh, what that figure represents yeah Blackwood's work has influenced many of the subsequent portrayals in mainstream horror fiction. Uh, which in turn inspired the character in Stephen King's novel *Pet Sematary*, uh, where the Wendigo mm. is a personification of evil. Eagle, evil, eagle, uh, a personification uh. of evil, uh, an ugly, grinning creature with yellow-gray eyes, ears replaced by ram's horns, white vapor coming from its nostrils, and a pointed, decaying yellow tongue. Other creatures based on the Wendigo legend or named for it appear in a variety of f- films and television shows. Dark was the night and Ravenous are a couple of films that came up television series, including Teen Wolf, Supernatural, Blood Ties, Charmed, Grim, and Hannibal. No big surprises there. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of Wendigos in video games. Also, Uh, the 2015 horror survival video game Until Dawn uh, features Wendigos as the main antagonists. And in the 2021 film Antlers by Scott Cooper, I think it was produced by Guillermo del Toro, Frank... Luca's father transforms into a Wendigo, portrayed as a deer-like creature with a glowing heart that moves from person to person with a never-ending hunger. Um, mm. So the deer horns, <laughs> we've had like- a, Somehow they, we got they, got they got added in. The cannibalism seems to have uh, persisted. But the, Wendigo, the Wendigos of popular culture are pretty different from the ones uh, from the original mythology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the Wendigo lends its name to a form of psychosis known as Wendigo psychosis. It's described as a culture-bound syndrome or a culture-specific syndrome, which is a characterization that's used for mental disorders that that occur within the context of a particular culture and its mythology values, um, customs, whatever. Mm-hmm. That term historically was applied mostly to non-Western cultures, but um, people po- point, for instance, to anorexia nervosa as a culture bound syndrome that is specific to kind of American and, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, those are like our culture, right? Like we don't, we, it took a while for us to <laughs> work our way around to understanding it that way. But yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of a kind of a sidetrack. But anyway, Wendigo psychosis uh, is described as characterized by symptoms such as an intense craving for human flesh and an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. Mm. This is a predominantly historical uh, phenomenon. There are no modern cases that I was able to see evidence of, but there are various historical narratives of people with Wendigo psychosis some of whom were killed to prevent them from acting on their impulses. There was a fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists, leading to a controversy in the 1980s over the historicity of Wendigo psychosis. Uh, Some researchers argued that essentially it was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories, related to them at face value others pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts by Algonquians and others as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was at least to some extent a factual historical phenomenon but you know whether whether anyone ever suffered from it or whether it was you know as uh, also legendary um interesting to interesting to know of it yeah yeah so that's a little bit about the Wendigo pop culture around the Wendigo, Wendigo psychosis. And uh, yeah, so I feel like I, I have a much better grasp on this than I did. And so now I'm always going to be annoyed by <laughs> the the like deer horn Wendigos that, that you see in like, you know, horror movies and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty much what I've got. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready for a quiz? Oh, yeah. So I figured I would, sort of along the lines of the Wendigo, put together a set of questions around like Native American folklore creatures. I've tried to stay with creatures and not deities, although some of the categories are a little a little fuzzy, but i've that's that's been that I attempted to do that in this quiz. okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Let me check and make sure that I like my last question as the last question. Yeah, that's fine. So question one, it's not just a model of Ford produced from 1955 to 1997 and 2002 to 2005. It's also a legendary creature of many Native American mythologies, most notably those of the Pacific Northwest. What supernatural being associated with power, strength, and meteorological phenomena is this?
0: Oh, okay. I when you said fort, my first my first thought was gremlin and I was like <laughs> I don't think that's that. Uh that's that I would think is the thunderbird.
1: It is the thunderbird. I was very surprised how widespread thunderbird mythology is. Um mm. you know, mm-hmm. we associate it with with the Pacific Northwest, but it is uh geographically quite widespread and uh I also was looking at some stuff about like Thunderbird iconography, uh, which can get very complex, but can be as simple as like the letter X. Oh. Right. Uh, Hmm. If you if you picture kind of a Thunderbird image, you'll see like the kind of and so it can get it can get simplified down to like just kind of that X shape. All right. You're at 20 points because you guessed the deep dive topic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Nice job. Uh, Question two. Skinwalkers. Are figures from Navajo legends. Um, they have something in common with figures, including, and I'm going to include a bunch of different fictional and folkloric worlds here okay. uh, Loki, Sirius Black, Odo, and Jafar. What is the defining ability of a skinwalker?
0: I would guess the ability to shape shift.
1: Yes. Presumably uh, into animals. Yes. I, I was not crazy about the inclusion of Jafar on the list of fictional shapeshifters, but I was like, you know what? I'll go with it. I'll go with it. It's fine.
0: I mean, he turns into yeah. a snake.
1: Yeah, he does. And like the, um, kind of the old man figure when he needs to con, Aladdin. Right. Yeah. I'm remembering correctly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um,
1: yeah, there's not a whole lot out there about, um, skinwalker mythology in part because there's some wariness about sharing it with those outside the culture and um, some Navajo public thinker advocate type people have kind of asked, Mm. asked non-Navajo people to back off from, uh, (laughs) from that whole mythology. Um, So, so I didn't dig into it too much more than that, but yeah, uh, shapeshifters. Uh, Question three. Legends of Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot, are prevalent throughout many Native American peoples of the West Coast. The pseudoscience-prone subculture that studies and searches for unknown or legendary animals such as Sasquatch, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Chupacabra is known as what?
0: Pseudoscience. Emily. I mean. Cryptozoology is an incredibly exact process.
1: (laughs) Yes, cryptozoology is correct. There are a handful. My sister told me this, I haven't fact checked it, but she's she's pretty reliable. Uh, a handful of creatures that were considered cryptids mm-hmm. and turned out to actually exist, um, including I think the Komodo dragon. Um, oh, yeah.
0: See, so.
1: yes, there we go. So, so they're probably all real. <laughs> probably all real. Yes, cryptozoology is fun. It's my favorite pseudoscience. <laughs> quest you're at 40 points uh question number four the wendigo is not the only cannibalistic spirit of the of the folklores of the indigenous people of north america the flying head is a figure for, from the lore of the Haudenosaunee people whose confederacy of six nations is also known by what francophone name
0: Uh, If it's a confederacy of nations, and I guess it would be Francophone, the one that comes to mind is Iroquois.
1: Yes, Iroquois is is correct. Iroquois. Yes.
0: Iroquois. Iroquois.
1: Everybody's favorite running bit. Kyle tries to pronounce (laughs) French. (laughs) You're at 50 points. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say about the flying heads. They creep me out.
0: No, they're so cool, though. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I think so. Uh,
1: Question number five. Dear woman or dear lady is a figure from several Native American cultures. Actually, she is associated with fertility and love, uh, but also with revenge on those who harm women and children. In what television show is there a recurring character based on this figure? Uh, It's a show created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi for FX on Hulu.
0: I don't know this for FX on Hulu.
1: Yeah. It's, I don't know. This, The streaming world uh, is, is, yeah, yeah no,
0: I, I think I get it. But what show would that be? I'm trying to think it must be fairly recent. Yes. I think, oh man, I think I know the show. I think I can. Oh, what is it called though? There's a, there's a phrase that comes to mind that I—that that is uh, an offensive phrase that I don't know if it's the name of the show or if I'm associating it with something else, so I don't want to say it if I'm wrong. <laughs> mm. It may be the name of the show. That's, yeah, I, I feel like that's the name of the show that I'm thinking of. Ooh, but I again, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to just say something that, you know, offensive. Okay, I'm going to couch it in. I know that this is a... That this is an offensive term and I do not I, I do not condone the use of it, but the, the term off the reservation is coming to my mind.
1: That you're you're on the right track, but you're not correct. Reservation dogs.
0: Reservation dogs. That's it. Yeah. I knew it had reservation in it.
1: Um I have watched zero episodes, but I'm going to actually now. Um because like I'm always behind on my TV watching.
0: And now that you know that it has Dear Lady in it?
1: Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's the thing, right? Um, It is apparently it is a teen comedy drama television series. It is notable um, in that it is, I think, the first show to have all indigenous writers and directors. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I needed to have one in there that was tricky. Uh, I mean, a bunch of these were tricky, but you you got them. I, I, uh...
0: I enjoy my cryptozoology. Yeah. I'm not okay. I'm not an expert by any means, but I do I do like this stuff.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh so you're at fifty points going into the final clue, and we're gonna call the category poets and poetry.
0: Oh, damn it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you're gonna be able to get it though, in my opinion.
0: Mm, hang on. Okay. When to go dealing with Native American folklore. Uh I will go with 25.
1: All right. For 75 points. Pukwaji. Are creatures from Wampanoag folklore. They are human-like, said to be 2 to 3 feet tall and they can they can shapeshift, appear and disappear at will and they attempt to lure people to their deaths. They are understandably compared to fairies in a well-known work by what 19th century poet?
0: You, what are they
1: called again? Puckwaji.
0: Oh, what is um well-known epic poem. Oh, the poem or the poet?
1: I'm asking for the poet. Yeah. But I I did I said I said work as if it were like as if the poet had, you know, had a side project.
0: Right. No, no. Um, um so I this is this might be my ignorance but i'm thinking of the song of hiawatha and i'm trying to remember because like names are coming into mind and i'm like no it can't be that oh no it's not that um God, i know i know who it is i just have to like work through the mm-hmm. the garbage
1: he's one of the three name ones
0: yeah longfellow henry, henry watson's longfellow. longfellow
1: yes Henry okay. Wadsworth Long, Longfellow. I, I I should have just, I should have just given you a yes at Longfellow, but yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. So Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow.
0: It was like Alfred Lord Tennyson. No, of course not. No, stop. And like Nathaniel Hawthorne. Like, no, God, no, I know it's not them. The, these names that I knew were not them kept jumping into my head.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that happens. The, the three name poets are, bleh, bleh. there's a lot of them. So yeah, P- Puckwaji are—I I, could—I hope I'm pronouncing that that correctly. Um, are mentioned in the Song of Hiawatha. There's this setup about this figure Quasand, and then, but the mischievous Puckwudgies—they, the envious little people—they, the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. Puckwudgies also are have been incorporated by J.K. Rowling into the Harry Potter universe. She's done a bunch of like trying to incorporate. Figures from Native American folklore into like, oh, they're the magical creatures that are like native to In North America, North America, which is not always super welcome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some, hey, there's I'm, I'm going to take yeah. your folklore and put it into my world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um But anyway, uh, hey, you you got it. You you uh...
0: <laughs> barely. It was a close one.
1: Yeah. So seventy five points. Hey, nice work.
0: Yeah, thanks. And thank you.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, and, and thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review, if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast.
0: You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Podables, on Twitter at PotentPotables1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com.
1: And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.